Shalom. This is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. We thank you for this beautiful Shabbat, for this opportunity that we have this morning to come before you with humble hearts and worship. Father, I pray that as we open your word today, that you will speak into our hearts and our lives, that you will move in our midst, and Father, that it be your voice that we receive and that we hear this morning. Father, only allow that which you have already ordained and anointed for this purpose to come forth from me. And let me, as a human, get out the way so that you can minister to our hearts and our lives. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen. This morning we are in Parsha Kitisa. Uh, so if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 30. It begins with verse 11. And uh, we're not going to actually begin at verse 11. I'm going to let you go there and then tell you where to go from there. Um, but this Parsha is interesting, it's exciting, it's also nerve-wracking. Um, I don't know about you guys, but as I read through the Torah, uh, each and every week I see a lot more of myself in the nation of Israel than I would like to see, um, because we all are stiff-necked people, we're all ridiculous, we're all going to make mistakes and cause problems, and so on. And, and Israel, we know at this point, they've already experienced the Sinai experience. They've already experienced hearing the audible voice of the Lord speak forth. They've seen the signs, the wonders, the miracles that the Lord did coming out of Egypt. And they're now standing in Mount Sinai. They see is, uh, Moses has ascended the mountain. He's been up there for 40 days. And then in this week's Parsha, we read about Israel immediately turning to idolatry. All right, so we know that Shavuot's about 50 days from Passover. So they're now just you know, uh, a short period of time, they're, they're uh, about 90 days, so about three months into uh, this whole process, because Moses is on the mountain for 40 days after Shavuot, right? So they're about 90 days, give or take, into this process of making their way to the promised land, to the land of Canaan, to the land that has been promised their forefathers that would be theirs as an eternal inheritance. But more importantly, they're, they're just a short period of time into what is truly their inheritance, which is a relationship with the God of all creation, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. And so this week we read about a heart-wrenching, uh, from God's perspective especially, a heart-wrenching event in the nation of Israel's history. We read about the golden calf. And so if you have your scriptures, go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus chapter 31, um, and we are going to begin with verse 18. So right at the end of chapter 31, Moses is on the mountain. Um, he has just heard the, uh, the commandments from the Lord. And verse 18 says, When he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave two t- the two tablets of the testimony to Moses, tablets of stone written by the finger of God. So Moses on Mount Sinai, God has just handed him the tablets. The, the two tablets that contain the Asarat Hadibrot, the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments upon them, they have been carved out by the hand of God. They have been etched upon by the hand of God. He is now holding what is literally likely the most valuable thing that has ever existed on the face of the planet. And then we proceed. Chapter 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses uh, delayed coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Get up, make us God's 
uh, who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not, what, do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, break off the golden rings that are in, your, in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden rings that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He received them from their hand and made a molten calf, fashioned with a chiseling tool. Then they said, this is our God, Israel, which brought, us up, brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. Then Aaron made a proclamation saying, tomorrow will be a feast to Adonai. They rose up early the, the next morning and sacrificed burnt offerings and brought fellowship offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to make merry. So for those that are wondering, to make merry is euphemism for, pardon the language, they had a giant orgy in front of this, this idol. This is literally how idol worship begins and how it's uh, integrated. As a matter of fact, we go forward to Acts 15, we see that that's one of the big four that, uh, that James says, this is what the nations coming into the body of Messiah have to focus on. It says, do not commit fornication. And this is a part of idol worship. This is something that occurred regularly. So it was by no random chance that this was a part of what was happening. They built this calf, said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And then the party ensued. And I liken it in my head to anything we can imagine about Mardi Gras, but worse. Um, verse seven says, then I said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have become debased. They quickly turned aside from the path that I commanded for them. They have made a molten calf, worshipped it, and sacrificed to it, and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Adonai said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore leave me alone, so my wrath may burn hot against them, and so I may consume them, and make from you a great nation. Then Moses sought Adonai, his God, and said, Adonai, why should your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, he brought them out to do evil, to slay them in the mountains and to annihilate them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from the, this destruction against your people. Remember Abraham, uh, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and all the land that I have spoken of, I will give to your offspring and they will inherit it. So Adonai relented from the destruction that he said he would do to his people. I think this tells us a lot about Adonai right out the gate. As a matter of fact, at the end of the Parsha, or towards the end of the Parsha, we read what's known as the 13 attributes of God, which begin with, he's merciful, he's quick to forgive, right? Uh, he's slow to anger, and so on. And so as we look at this, what we realize is the reason that Abraham, or that Abraham was called out, the reason the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham were called out was for, for one purpose, that was to be a light into the nations. That was so that the nations around us would see the glory of God among his people, and they would want to be a part of that. They would want to become a part of what God is doing among his people. And so Moses says, but Lord, if you strike them down, what are the nations going to think? What is Egypt going to think? They're going to say you brought them out here just to slaughter them, and then they won't want anything to do with you. Because if he calls you out, he's going to want to slaughter you too. And so Moses brings, I believe, he's bringing to God's mind what God called him. Not that it wasn't already in God's mind. Not that God needed Moses to remind him of what he called Israel out to be. But I think God was using this as an opportunity to see if Moses recalled what God had called Israel out to be. And so God said, Moses says to God, but God, if you wipe them out, what will the nations think? What will the, the nations say about you? 
How will the nations come to serve you? How will they come to love you and to receive your love? And it says in verse 14 that Adonai relented from the destruction that he had said, uh, that he said he would do to his people. And then Moses turns and he, uh, verse 15, then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on one and on the other. The tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise, because Joshua was waiting for him at the base of the mountain, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war within the camp. But Moses said, it is not the voice of a shout of victory, nor is it the voice crying from defeat, but I hear the sound of singing. Then it happened as soon as Moses came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing and his anger burned hot. So he threw the tablets out of his hand and smashed them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the surface of the water and made B'nai Israel, the children of Israel, drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you to make you bring such a great sin upon them? Aaron said, don't be angry, my Lord. You know these people yourself and how they are set on evil. They said to me, make gods for us to go before us as for Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We don't know what's happened to him. So I said to them, whoever has gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Moses, I want to point this out, uh, Aaron, Aaron is, is what? Aaron's set to be the high priest, right? And the lineage of the high priest is to flow through Aaron and his firstborn sons and so on, right? So Aaron's a pretty integral part of the nation of Israel. He's a pretty important part of the plan of God and ultimately the plan of salvation. He's supposed to be a foreshadowing of Messiah Yeshua, who is our high priest, right? And here Aaron goes, Moses, you know these people as well as I do. They're a train wreck, right? Um, you know, they came to me and they said, make us a God, because we don't know what happened to this character, Moses. Oh, by the way, he's your brother, and you don't even know what happened to him. So how about you just make us a God, and, and we'll, we'll serve it. And so Aaron says, but, but Moses, check it out. I didn't do anything. They just gave me all their gold. I threw it in the fire, and poof, here was a calf. I don't know where it came from, but this calf popped up out of nowhere. Right? This is the high priest. This is the one that's going to serve Israel, bringing atonement before the Lord for the nation. For himself and for all that are a part of God's people. And the best excuse he could come up with is, I don't know how this happened. They just gave me this stuff and there came a calf. I don't know. This is weird. I don't know where it came from. You know these people, Moses. They're a wreck. They're a wreck. I mean, they've been a disaster. They've been a headache for you since. And I think Aaron would have been perfectly happy if he went, just go back to God, tell him to wipe them out and he could start with us, right? Because I didn't really do anything. And clearly you, you weren't even here. You didn't do anything. It was all Israel. What's interesting is Israel makes one of the worst mistakes of their, their, their history in this very moment in immediately turning from the salvation that God had brought them coming out of slavery in Egypt, turning to idolatry. And then not only turning to idolatry, but, but then attesting who God was, who Adonai is to this idol. Notice they said, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt, Right? And what is it that we're to say as we bring our uh, children before the Lord, as we bring the, the, uh, the, the first fruit before the Lord and so on? We're to say, this is because Adonai, the God of my forefathers, brought us out of slavery in Egypt and brought us to this land, a land flowing with milk and honey and kept its promises to us. But we're now attesting that character, that nature, that reality of who Hashem is to an idol, to something made by human hands. 
Notice Aaron says, they gave me the gold, I threw it in the fire, and here came this idol. But it specifically says that Aaron formed it and molded it and chiseled it. You ever played with a chisel? It doesn't just happen, right? You don't hold it in your hand and the rock suddenly does its own thing and becomes whatever it is. You've got to work for it. You've got to intentionally form something. Aaron, the one who's to be high priest, is the one who forms this for the people and causes this whole problem. So then Moses goes back to Adonai, or immediately Israel relents, and they say, Moses, we've done a really bad thing. Go up to God and fix this, right? You're our fixer. Go fix this. And so Moses goes back up the mountain. And he talks to, to the Lord, and he says, look, they're a train wreck. They shouldn't have done this. You know as well as anybody they're a train wreck. They're stiff-necked. They're going to be a problem. Um, but, but Lord, this is your people. And you've called them to show your glory to the nations. Please don't destroy them. And God says, it's all right. I'm not going to destroy them. Now, 3,000 do die uh, due to the, the sin. But he says, I'm not going to destroy the entire people. I'm not going to wipe them out. He goes, now get up and take these people, your people. God says, get up and take your people that you brought out of Israel to the, the land that I promised. Take them where I've told you. And Moses says, Lord, if you're not going with us, I'm not going anywhere. Just blot me out. If you're not going to go with us, I don't want any part of this. There's no point. And the Lord says, oh, I'll go with you. He goes, no, 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 but you don't understand. I don't want you just to go with us. I want you to be in the middle of the people. I want you to lead us. I want the people to see your glory. I want them to realize who they serve, who is the true God of all creation. And so Moses says, show me your glory. If I've shown favor, uh, if I've been shown favor, show me your glory. And so the Lord reveals himself to Moses, and, and we get the 13 attributes of God. If you'll turn to Exodus chapter, let me pull it up real quick, I'm sorry. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. It says, then Adonai passed before him and proclaimed, Adonai, Adonai, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth, showing mercy to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means leaving the guilty unpunished, but bringing the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Then Moses quickly bowed his head down to the earth and worshiped. He said, if now I have found grace in your eyes, my Lord, let my Lord please go within our midst. Even though this is a stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your own inheritance. Now, I actually want to backtrack a little bit and go back to Exodus chapter 31, beginning with verse 1. Moses is upon the mountain. How many believe that we serve a God that is all-knowing? He's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere at once. Time doesn't mean anything to him. He knew before he created Adam and Eve that Adam and Eve were going to sin and forsake him. He knew before he created you and I that before he ever breathed his breath of life into you and I that we were going to sin and forsake him. He knew before he ever called Abraham out from the Ur of Chaldees, he knew that his descendants, the nation of Israel, were going to sin and forsake him. He knew while Moses was on the mountain receiving the Torah that Israel was going to build a golden calf. He knew before Israel heard the audible voice of the Lord in Exodus, 19, uh, Exodus 20, uh, giving the Ten Commandments, he knew that Israel was going to build the golden calf. Yet here in this Parsha, at the beginning of the Parsha, we see Moses is still on the mountain, and he's receiving this download of the commandments of the Torah of the, of the Lord. And in verse 1, it says, Then Adonai spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, understanding, and knowledge in all kinds of craftsmanship to make ingenious designs to forge with gold, silver, and bronze, as well as cutting stones. 
for setting and carving wood to work all in all manners of craftsmanship. Also, look, I myself have appointed uh, with him Oholiab, son of Ahasmach, of the tribe of Dan. Within the hearts of all who are wise-hearted, I have placed skill so that they may make everything that I have commanded you. Moses is on the mountain, listening to the Lord give him the commandments. The Lord is well aware of what is about to happen. He's well aware of the sin that's about to occur. Now, if you've read through this Parsha, you'll know there was only one tribe that stood with Moses when Moses said, if you, were serving the, if you serve the Lord, stand with me. Come over on this side. And who was that tribe? It's the tribe of Levi. The two guys that he has anointed to lead the building and the craftsmanship of the tabernacle came from the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Dan. Neither of them are the tribe of Levi, which means that they were likely involved in the golden calf. They were likely involved in the mess that ensued around the golden calf as they were worshiping this idol. They were likely involved in this mass hysteria of sin that the nation was experiencing. Yet when God knew what was about to happen, he still took the time to tell Moses, I have already anointed with my Ruach HaKodesh, with my Holy Spirit, I've already anointed Aholiab, and I've already anointed Bazalel to, to, to work these functions and to, to build the tabernacle and to design all these things that I've laid out. I have already appointed them. What is awesome about this reality is that you and I serve that same God. Before we were born, God knew the mistakes we were going to make. Before we ever breathe the breath of life into our lungs, he knew the sins we were going to err in. He knew the people we were going to hurt. He knew the wrong paths we were going to choose to take. He knew the people's lives that we were going to wreck. He knew the wrecks we were going to make of our own lives. And he knew the way we were going to embarrass him before all creation. But he still chose you and I. He has still anointed us for his purposes. Even being bought by the blood of the Lamb as believers in Yeshua Mashiach, we are still going to sin, and He still knows already those sins we are going to mess up with. But He still anointed us with His Ruach HaKodesh, with His Holy Spirit for His purposes. He has given us gifts and talents and callings long before we ever received a Messiah. He had already ordained and appointed our paths and our footsteps. He had already made a way for us to be restored, redeemed, and renewed. He had already prepared a plan for redemption and salvation before Adam and Eve ever sinned. Before Israel ever built the golden calf and worshipped it as the God that led them out of Egypt, he had already ordained Aaron as their high priest, even though he was going to build the calf himself. He had already ordained Bazalel and Oholiab from the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Dan to lead the building of the tabernacle, the very place where the glory of God was going to reside in the midst of Israel. He had already ordained them for his purposes, knowing the mistakes they were about to make. He had already ordained Saul, David, and Solomon for their roles and their purposes long before they ever made their mistakes and their sins and caused a wreck of other people's lives. And God knew this and still ordained them. He knew that Paul was going to kill believers, that he was going to oversee the killing of believers. He knew that Paul was going to try and destroy the body of Messiah, but he still ordained him for his purposes because he also knew that Paul was going to accept him. He knew that you and I were going to make a wreck of our lives, 
And He still called us. And He still offered His salvation to us. And He still redeemed us when we cried out in the name of Messiah and brought forth those gifts and talents and callings that He has ordained and anointed our lives with His Ruach HaKodesh for. He knows the mistakes you're going to make tomorrow, the next day and the week after, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, even as believers. And He still ordained us for His purposes. And the beauty of it is the testimony that can come from it. The beauty isn't the sin, but it's the way we can impact and affect others' lives for His kingdom because of the lessons we've learned, because of what God has brought us through, because of where God has brought us to. Jeremiah chapter 1, as God is calling Jeremiah out to be a prophet, he says in verse 4, the word of Adonai came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you prophet to the nations. Before I put you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, before you were ever born, before I ever spoke you into existence, I have already anointed you and appointed you. I've already called you. See, the Lord calls us when we're perfect, before we're ever born, before we ever have a chance to make our mistakes, knowing the mistakes that we're going to make knowing the mess of our lives we're going to, to bring about, the wreck we're going to cause in other people's lives, the way we're going to lead others astray, yet He still calls us. And He's dragging us, sometimes kicking and screaming, but He's dragging us, drawing us to His salvation, to His redemption. And when we call out upon the name of Messiah and His salvation, when we cry out for Yeshua's atonement, when we're filled with His Ruach HaKodesh, His Holy Spirit, because we've been restored, redeemed, renewed, then the purposes that he created us for, the calling he has already put on our lives, the gifts and talents that he has already anointed us and appointed us for can then flow. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Verse 1 of chapter 2, My children, I am writing these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an intercessor with the Father, the righteous Messiah Yeshua. He is the atonement for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the whole world. There is literally nothing that you or I could do in our lives that's going to be a surprise to God. Nothing. Even though some of us are going to try really hard, there's nothing we can do that will be a surprise to God. Yet He still called each of us. He has anointed us as He anointed Bazalel and Oholiab, as He anointed David and Solomon, as He anointed Paul, as He anointed Moses. Moses messed things up pretty bad too. And God knew what they were going to do, yet He still called them, and He still anointed them for His purposes. I don't know about you, but I find that exciting. I find that encouraging, that there's literally nothing I can do in my life, nothing I have done in my life, and I know my life. I know the mistakes that I've made. I know the harm I've caused people. I know the hearts I've broken. I know the lives that I've caused problems to but no matter what I've done, I can cleave to one reality. 
that because of the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Messiah Yeshua, the blood of my sacrifice Lamb, because of the dwelling of His Ruach HaKodesh in my life, I have been redeemed, I have been restored, I have been renewed, so that I can then take that, the truth of His salvation, the truth of the intermediary we have before the Father, not just for myself, not just for my family, not just for my congregation, not just for Israel, but to the whole world. That all may see the truth of his salvation, that all may realize it doesn't matter how much we've mucked it up in our lives. The Lord still wants us. The Lord still wants to use us. The Lord still loves us. The Lord looks at us today as believers and goes, just like Moses, what are the nations going to think of me when they see you doing this? Or they see you doing that? And then the Lord goes, but don't worry. I've got you covered. I've got you covered. The enemy, though, on the other hand, is going to stand before the Lord and go, but Rabbi David did A, B, C, and D. How could you possibly love him? And the Lord retorts and says, I don't know anything about that. It's all been cleansed washed away. I have called him since before he was in the womb. I have anointed him since before he was created for my purposes, for my kingdom, for the nations to know my salvation. Israel made a huge mistake in this week's Parsha. Huge. But the Lord still, even knowing that it was going to happen, ordained for them to build his tabernacle, a dwelling place for his presence in their midst, somewhere that he could reside in the middle of the nation of Israel, that they could see his glory. The reality is, is we are no better than Israel. We also sin on a regular basis. We also elevate idols in our lives on a regular basis. For the Lord is already prepared within each and every one of us bought by the blood of the Lamb a tabernacle for His presence, for His glory to be seen by the nations around us. So I want to leave you this morning with this encouraging reality. You can never go too far. There is no way we can walk beyond the reach of the Father. He wants us. He loves us. He cherishes us. He is slow to anger. He's quick to forgive. How many of us can own up to doing that ourselves? You know, in the Gospels, Yeshua says, if you want God's forgiveness, you have to offer forgiveness to others. Right? In the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who've trespassed us. along with the encouragement that there's never anywhere we could go too far removed from the Father's grace, is the reality that we have been given the opportunity because of his salvation to forgive others and to shine the light of salvation in their lives. Even though the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Judah were likely involved in the golden calf scenario and worshiping the golden calf, Aholiab and 
Bazalel were already anointed with the purpose and the glory of God to be able to be a blessing to Israel and to the nations. You and I are already anointed with that. Before we accepted Messiah, we were anointed with it. But Messiah's cleansing allows us to live in it, to operate in it, so that the world around us can be blessed and touched by the Lord's work in our lives and what he can do and wants to do in theirs. Avrahamim, Father of mercies, we worship you. We love you. Often we're perplexed. Perplexed at who we can be. The mistakes we can make. At the pain we can cause others. At the pain we know we can cause you. But Father, I rejoice in the fact that you are ever forgiving. I rejoice in the fact that you love us so much. That you cherish us so much. That you are constantly calling us to your salvation, to your redemption, to your repentance, to your forgiveness. That even as believers, you are constantly washing clean our sins. Your blood was given once and for all that all may find the truth of your salvation, that all may be redeemed and restored. And Father, I pray that you encourage and uplift each of us to walk in the anointing that you have given us in your Ruach HaKodesh and your Holy Spirit to be a part of shining that light to the nations around us. Father, I thank you for letting us see and experience your glory for our being able to tangibly experience your presence in our midst. And Father, I thank you for having anointed each one of us for good, for blessing, and for your purposes. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray and everyone says, Amen, amen and Amen.